That's the posture that we're really entering into this new year with, is, is really kind of asking that big question, what if? What if we did that? Uh, what if we humbled ourselves? What if we came together uh, in prayer? And so uh, excited for this series, excited for this new year with all of you. Uh, many of you are excited to say goodbye to 2020. You know, David, he's funny, but he doesn't always like let you guys in on that. Uh, somebody kind of commented when, uh, when some folks came in this morning that David and Heather were both wearing black, like up here, like in center stage. And David's like, yeah, we're having a funeral for 2020. So uh, I thought that was funny. So I thought I'd, I'd tell his joke for him. But um, just good to be with you guys. One of the things that 2020 reminded me of is how much I appreciate being a part of this church, being a part of this group of people and what God is doing here. So here's to 2021. Uh, I'm excited about it. Let's imagine we have just put, you know, to death 2020. And as we enter into 2021, here's the question I have for you. If you could pick any destination, all right, money's not an issue, but if you could pick any destination to go to and just spend a week there, uh, where would that destination be, okay? Just uh, maybe somebody that you came with or whatever, uh, mention that to them, and, uh, and then we'll get set up and get started here. Well, hey, maybe somebody you came with, now you know where they want to go. You can take them there. Like, we don't have to, we don't have the money right now, right? But uh, I don't know what you mentioned. Anybody mentioned like a ski trip somewhere? Yeah, over here, maybe some mountains. Uh, how many people would go to warmer weather? You're like the beach, okay? A lot of you are like, I'm ready for some beach action right now. Anybody go to like a lake or something like that or some cottage? Or that's, I feel like that's kind of my, my feel a little bit. Um, anybody like just as far away from here as possible? Like just take me somewhere, uh, somewhere different. Well, um, I, interestingly, I was like having, a, uh, taking a nap the other day. I don't get to take a lot of naps. So I was taking a nap sometime over the holiday and uh, my kids, Kids were all sleeping, which was a Christmas miracle all by itself. And I'm like, I'm going to take, and I'm taking a nap, and I'm having this dream. I was like in like a, some nice like beach area or whatever. And then I like some sort of sound just like woke me up, and it was pattering on the wind. I'm like, what is that? And it was Ohio weather saying, what's up? Like, it's like icing on the side of the wind. I'm like, what is this? You know, I was like, I was just at a beach, and now I'm back, back to reality. But wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice? Well, uh, today, as we get started, as we really kind of started this series, we've been talking about, really, you could think about it this way, two different destinations that God laid out for the people of Israel. And it's really the context around which this uh, this sermon series was built, and really this scripture that you just saw on the screens in video form was really built, and Stephen laid out the context for us last week. If you didn't get a chance to listen, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. Just great context to the text that we're talking about. But he talked about how this was really a prayer, following up on a prayer that Solomon offered up to God um, to say, as he built the temple for God, and it was a prayer of dedication of the temple. And then God, in response to Solomon, and really as a covenant kind of, um, he's kind of setting up this covenant with, with the people of Israel to say, listen, Solomon, leader of this nation, people of Israel, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, repent, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their lands. 
And so he paints these two, defi- uh, uh, these two in, this, in the context of this passage, these two destinations, really. And one of the destinations was forgiveness. It was healing. And as you read in part of the other context, um, he's, he lays out for them what will happen if they don't do that, the natural consequence, including pestilence, famine, exile. And so he's saying, listen, there's another destination here, too, if you want to follow that out. And that destination is ultimately your own demise and your own destruction. You can turn from me as you have in the past, but it's not going to end well. And so while this was a promise specific to Israel, um, and it was specifically a response to Solomon's prayer of dedication to the temple, it does have powerful implications for us today. And last week, Stephen's like, well, if we're going to talk about living this out, if we're going to talk about walking this out, if we're going to talk about walking this path, it starts with us. It starts with us as God's people, um, just as this prayer was specifically offered to Solomon, it's a prayer for us in many ways as well. And so when we think about these two destinations, there is a path to each of these destinations, and the path is not really what we would see as like an easy path. Like, while the destination makes sense, like, yeah, who wouldn't want to choose that path that leads to healing and hope and forgiveness, right? Who doesn't want to go there, right, compared to the alternative? But how do we walk that path? And that's what we've been talking about. And interestingly, today, our topic is humble yourselves. Humble yourself. We talk about a New Year's topic, right? It's not new you, you know, kind of a day. Like, you know, a lot of churches are probably doing these, like, fun series, and we're like, Guess what we're doing right out the gate? We're going to humble ourselves. And, uh, but what a great posture, really, to step into the year with. And so as we talk about humble yourselves, I'll understand if somebody's like, oh, something just came up, you know, because like, that's what we're talking about. We're going to lean in. And I think it's kind of like one of those days where the dentist tells you this is going to hurt a little bit. And, uh, you know, and sometimes he says, like, this is, this is going to hurt me than it's more that's going to hurt you. That's not true. It's going to hurt both of us uh, today a little bit, but it's for our own good. And I think that this conversation about humility is one we desperately need to have. Uh, as a church, as a culture, I, I think we've really lost sight of it almost entirely. And so if it really does start with us, if it starts in our hearts, if it starts in our church, we have to walk that process out. And so as we talk about humility today, one of the things I want to lay out to you is a lot of times I think we think about humility and we think about that's something that like some people possess and some people don't possess. Like it's just this quality we either possess or we don't possess. And there's, there's people that are humble people and there's just people that aren't humble people. And while in some ways that's true, I want to think a little bit differently about humility today. I want, to th- I want us to see it not just as something, a quality we possess or don't possess, but when, Sol- when God tells Solomon that if my people would humble themselves, what he's giving them is something actionable. He's telling them that this is something that we can actively walk out and live out. And so that's the way I want to look at it today is, okay, how do we walk that out? How do we live that out? Because humility is a path that we walk. So let me drop the big idea on you here, and then we can talk a little bit about how we walk that path. Here's the big idea today. The path to healing is paved in humility. The path to healing is paved in humility. And we're at a crossroads. We're at a cultural crossroads. We're in many of us at a personal crossroads. And we have a decision to make. There's two paths before us. We can choose to travel the way of the world, denying God, doing things our own way. Or we can choose the way of God by humbling ourselves and doing things God's way. The choice really is that simple. So how do we walk the path of humility? Well, here's where it's going to sting a little bit. There's really only one way to do it. 
We do it by laying down ourselves. That's how we do it, both individually, collectively, as his people in three major ways. And that's what we're going to talk about together. So here we go. Ready? This is going to hurt a little bit. Number one, humility is laying down our pride. It's laying down our pride. And that might seem obvious, but let's dig in a little bit more on that. If we're going to walk the path of humility and route to healing, we have to first identify and eradicate the sins of self. And there's more than one. There's actually a long list of them. This isn't all of them either. But when we think about some, some sins of self, here's a few of them. One of them is self-reliance. Many of you, even despite 2020, still doubled up on, I'm just going to do this on my own. I'm going to get gutted out and get through 2020 on my own. While it was an opportunity for us to step back and be like, I need God's help, some of us that kind of live out this self-reliance, we're like, no, I got this. I got this. You know, And there's some, it's admirable, but if we're not careful and we try to live by just carrying everything on our own back, it's very, very dangerous. The second one is self-gratification. And self-gratification would be the, the things that we run to when things get uncomfortable, too. We're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go you know, find my escape, whatever it is. And I'm going to bury myself in my cell phone, perhaps. Or I'm going to go, and, and I'm just going to drink, and then I'm going to have another drink. And I'm going to have an, whatever it is, whatever way that you kind of walk out that path that we kind of like, let me just escape through gratification, self-gratification, finding gratification through our own means. The third is, and this is, many of us kind of went into this mode this past year, that's self-preservation. Like, if I could just kind of protect myself, and in many ways, the sort of the mantra of the year was stay safe, right? And, and I'm, I'm all for that, by the way. But when safety becomes our ultimate priority, and our self-preservation is all that we think about, it can be a very, very dangerous uh, and difficult thing, especially for us as the people of God. Self-righteousness. We can talk about this in a lot of different forms, but one of the ways I think it's come out this year is in fault finding, right? We're really good at finding a, a well, what, what, did you see what they're doing, or did you see what they're doing, you know? Or they shouldn't be doing that, or they shouldn't be doing that. And so we're all, we get into this mode of, like, fault finding. Or, or maybe we're thinking that, like, making assumptions about people that are staying home or not staying home or whatever it might be, right? And so we get into the seat of we play the place of the judge. We're the judge, right? And culturally, this is lived out constantly. Self-obsession. I mean, again, talk about another sin of our culture that it's easy for us to really fall into. Self-obsession is an easy one. I mean, just scroll through, like, on, you know, our own, your own feed. Just be like, man, how many of that's, how much of my life is just obsessed about thinking about myself or trying to get validation from others about my, I mean, and, and I can't assess that for you. You have to assess that for yourself. But self-obsession, we are a self-obsessed culture. It's no wonder that we deal with such a high level of anxiety and depression because we're so focused on ourselves all the time. Self-importance. And this is the one that maybe is, is easiest to identify, but it's really hard to identify in yourself. But when we get to this place where we, we just see ourselves as kind of important, we're too busy for others, whatever it might be, but there's sort of this self-importance that happens. And so these are some of the sins of self. Now, the reason I want to lay that out, and we'll continue to kind of, kind of walk this out, but all of these sins ultimately trace themselves back to a singular sin, pride, which is the sin of self. Proverbs tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so as we call out these sins, we have to understand that when God calls out the sin of pride, he's offering a warning to us. He knows where that leads. The, sin of self, the sins of self are ultimately lead to self-destruction. C.S. Lewis framed it this way in his book, Mere Christianity. He says this, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. 
unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all those are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. That's why Jesus calls us on the path of humility. He knows that it's for our own good. He tells his disciples, whoever exalts themselves will be humbled, but whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. God's call to humility is a shout of a loving father calling his children back from imminent danger. Jesus tells us if we want to find ourselves, we must lose ourselves. Jesus told the disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his very soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Mark Moore captures this well when he says, we're called to carry a cross, lay down our lives, and to be crucified with Christ. Self-improvement, self-respect, or self-management won't rescue us from the grip of sin. It's self-extermination, the annihilation of our pride that can bring us freedom. Perhaps this grates against our culture, which validates pride. But to affirm a disease that ravages one's soul is a cruelty. So our first task is humbling ourselves, is to lay down our pride, the sins of self. Our second task is to lay down our privileges for the sake of others. And humility is laying down our privileges. One of the most instructive scriptures on this comes from Philippians. It says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in his spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in a mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not account equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What would it look like if we in our homes lived out that singular scripture? I mean, what would it look like in your marriage if you lived out that singular scripture? That you saw the need of your spouse as more significant than your own needs. What if, as a culture, as a church, we lived out that singular scripture? And take note of the strong word here. That it's, it's keno, which means to empty. That Jesus emptied himself. He willingly emptied himself that we might be filled. He denied himself that we might be accepted. He lowered himself that we might be raised up to deny himself divine privilege to our advantage. And you know, in Jesus' day, humility was actually seen as a weakness. To be called humble was like the greatest insult. Now it's a compliment, but that's because Jesus showed us what it really looked like. He demonstrates by his own example that is the greatest attribute of strength that we could possess. One of the things 2020 really, uh, really brought to light was uh, this conversation on race relations in our nation. And I'll be honest with you, I've been doing a lot of wrestling, listening, prayer, study, because the truth, I didn't want to jump right in on all the emotionally charged stuff that was going on and not sit with the Spirit on some of these things. But the truth is, it's an important conversation. 
And so we've done a lot of wrestling. We've done a lot of this as a team, too, because we need a biblical framework for this. We need to see what God's doing in redemptive history in this moment, right? Because I'm not so much concerned about what this person thinks or what this person thinks about it. I'm concerned about what God has to say about it. Like, what's the redemptive thing that God is up to in this moment, and how can we join him in what is happening? And like Stephen said last week, it should start with me. And I think that the church should offer biblical clarity to the confusion of the moment. And at first, I'll be honest, I struggled with words like white privilege. I heard that word as, as an insult or like an indictment. Like, I just felt paralyzed by, well, what do I do with that, right? And maybe some of you felt the same way. But the reality is I do have privilege. I have privilege just being born in this nation, just being born to the family I was born in, the country that I was born in. I have a lot of privilege because of that. And, you know, there's privilege that comes with being a part of the white majority living in America, and that's where this idea of white privilege comes from. And there's tons of examples of how this played out historically and how it still plays out currently. And, you know, I can just attest to the fact that on a personal level, there are privileges in how I grew up going to the schools that I went to. The list goes on personally, and I try not to take it for granted. And I think we should all take an inventory of what God, what privileges that ultimately have come from God that we have in our lives. And it's not to say that I didn't work hard. I can tell you that I worked hard. I worked hard in school. I worked hard, and I still work hard. And it's not to say that my dad didn't work hard. He's one of the hardest working guys that I know. When, we, when, when I was born, we had next to nothing. I mean, and that's really the truth. My parents were young when they had me, and dad had to fight, and he worked hard. Both of them worked hard. I stayed with grandma most of the time because my parents were both working hard. But I can acknowledge that there were advantages that helped me out along the way. And not everybody has those same advantages. In fact, many, especially in minority groups, have a lot more obstacles to overcome, and it's okay to acknowledge that. But what am I to do with it? Because I can't just sit with it and be paralyzed by it. There was a pastor recently that I listened to that actually helped me out a lot on this topic. It was pastor, his name was Brian Loritz, and he talked about the reality of privilege in America, but he discussed how having privilege is not a sin. If so, Jesus would have been sinful. There was nobody that had more privilege than Jesus. But what did Jesus do? He laid down his privilege for the sake of others. He emptied himself. And so that's how we need to walk this out. We're to leverage all the privileges. We take an inventory of the things that we have in our lives. We're to leverage those things, those privileges, to propel others. Rather than sitting with it and feel guilty about it, how can I use what I have to better the life of someone else? How can I steward the blessing that God has given me to advance someone else and that's the question as the people of God we should be asking as people of humility we should see it as a privilege to lay down our privilege Booker T. Washington the renowned black educator was an outstanding example example of this truth shortly after he took the presidency of, of Tuskegee Institute in Alabama he was walking in an exclusive section of town where he was stopped by a wealthy white woman not knowing the famous Mr. Washington by sight she asked if he would like to earn a few extra dollars by chopping wood for her because he had no pressing business at the moment, Professor Washington smiled. He rolled up his sleeves, and he proceeded to do the humble chore she had requested. When he was finished, he carried the logs into the house and stacked them by the fireplace. And a little girl recognized him and later revealed his identity to the lady. The next morning, the embarrassed woman went to see Mr. Washington in his office at the Institute, and she apologized profusely. And here's his response, it's perfectly all right, madam, he replied. Occasionally I enjoy a little manual labor. Besides, it's always a delight 
to do something for a friend. She shook his hand warmly and assured him that the meek and gracious attitude had endeared him and his work to her. And not long afterwards, showed her admiration by persuading some wealthy acquaintances to join her in donating thousands of dollars to Tuskegee Institute. The humble will be exalted. And God does this over and over again as we see it as a privilege to lay down our privileges. We walk the path of humility as we lay down pride, privilege, and lastly, position. Humbling ourselves means laying down our position before God, the one who deserves to be in that ultimate position. We used to sing, and interestingly here, you know, we, we see that Jesus, he, he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. I mean, that's the line. And just a reminder, he was God. If there was ever one that could kind of play God, that could wear the king crown, it was Jesus, but he laid that crown down in obedience to God, in obedience to God's plan so that we could be exalted. He laid down his divine position. We used to sing this song in the church that I grew up in, and it was something like this. Maybe you sung this song back in the day. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. I used to sing that song, and, and I, I'd sing it all the time. I kind of liked it because it rhymed, you know. I like songs that rhyme. It's easier for me to remember. And, uh, but I, I'd sing that song, and the truth is I didn't really even know what that meant. Like, what, you know, especially as a younger kid, like, what, what does it mean to, like, lay down? What, what does that mean, lay down on my crowns? I, I, don't, I don't know what that means. And I think there's a lot of times we can sing songs like we even just, I lay it all down. We sing songs like we did earlier today, but we lose sight of what we're actually saying and expressing as we do that. And, and I, I think I've had a, more of a handle on what that means today, but living it out is still a struggle. Because the truth is, I, I like to wear the crown in my own life. I like to have control. I like to make my own decisions, you know. There's an, ex- saying, an old expression in the South that, that, that said a lot, is you get a little too big for your britches. Uh, we, we use that a lot with our kids when they all of a sudden want to tell us what they think we're going to do, you know, or whatever it might be. And so you get a little big for your britches. But if you think about God, you think about who he is, this is some big britches to fill, and we should stop trying to fill them. I mean, life goes a whole lot better when we stop trying to do that, when we lay down our crowns before God. Because what it means is that when I make Jesus king of my life, I no longer wear that crown anymore. Instead, I lay it down at his feet willingly in obedience to him. He could humble me if he wants to, but it goes a lot better for me if I would just humble myself before him and lay down my crown. And the truth is, I've learned it's, it's a good thing to do because I'm a pretty lousy at wearing the crown. I think the best thing we can do as we approach 2021 is just start by falling down, laying down our crowns at the feet of Jesus because the path of hope and healing is paved in humility. It really it starts here. It starts with the church. As much as we're, we're offered solutions in so many other ways, it starts with us. It starts with us doing that very thing, being the people of God, responding in the way of God. You know, King Solomon, he was given this prayer by God. He, these destinations were laid out before him. And you know, the truth is, he started out with a lot of humility. In, in 2 Chronicles 2, Solomon says this. He says, who is able to build a temple for God since the heavens, even the highest heavens cannot contain him? Who then am I to build a temple for him? I, who, am I, who am I? But over time, that humility dissolves. And at time, he, 
over time, he, he gets this earthly crown, and he forgets who wears the ultimate crown. He loses sight of that. And so he starts out on the right path, but leading the nation on the right path, but as he gained power, prominence, and privilege, he eventually exited that path. He began living his own way on his own terms by the strength of his own power, forgetting who brought him everything that he has and who was providing for the nation of Israel. And he wasn't the only king. There's a long list. I mean, read through the Chronicles. There's a long list of kings after him that did the very same thing. And Israel paid a price. And we know that we have that same tendency. We have to fight against that, or that tendency to want to wear the crown. Isaiah, the prophet in those days, had a word for the people that is a vital reminder for us today. This is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all things? And so they come into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I will look on with favor. Those who are humble, contrite in spirit, and who tremble at my word. I'll tell you, if I want one thing in 2021, it's God's favor. I want, I want to be, I want to live in God's favor. I want to live in his presence in 2021. And here's the beauty of the gospel. Any day, it doesn't have to be the first day of the year, but any day, you can make a decision to start walking a new path. You can start walking that path to hope. You can start walking that path to healing. It's never too late to walk that path. And so here's to a journey toward a new destination in 2021, a destination back to the presence of God. And as we close in prayer, I want, I want to think about this. I want to think about walking this out. I want to think about what it looks like to have this new year together. And there's these words, this poem, it's, it's called The Land of Beginning Again. And so I just want you to listen to these words as we, as we close together. Louisa Fletcher writes, I wish that there was some wonderful place called the land of beginning again, where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never put on again. I wish we could come on it all unaware like the hunter who finds a lost trail. And I wish that the one whom our blindness had done the greatest injustice of all could be at the gates like an old friend that waits for the comrade he's gladdest to hail. We would find all the things we intended to do, but forgot and remembered too late. Little praises unspoken, little promises broken in all of the thousand and one. Little duties neglected that might have perfected the day for one less fortunate. It wouldn't be possible not to be kind in the land of beginning again. And the ones we misjudged and the ones whom we grudged the moments of victory here would find in the grasp of our loving hand clasp more than penitent lips could explain. For what had been hardest we'd known had been best and what had seemed lost would be gained. For there isn't a sting that will not take wing when we faced it and laughed it away. And I think that the laughter is most what we're after in the land of beginning again. So I wish that there was some wonderful place called the land of beginning again where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never be put on again. I have good news, friends. There is a land like this. It's called the kingdom of God. It's paved in humility. 
and our admission is purchased on the cross of Calvary. Let's give thanks and just kind of take a posture of humility here as we begin to sing together again and, um, and, and just really ask God to, to help us to walk this out, help us to live this out, help us to, to just search ourselves uh, in these moments. God, we give you thanks for today. We give you thanks for a new year and really more than anything else, just what it symbolizes and the opportunity that it presents. And it seems to be that natural time when we, when we reflect back, when we remember and so I, I just pray that you would allow us to do that, God, that you would allow us to, in humility, just look at our own life with your help, through your lens, by the power of your spirit. God, what are the sins of self that we're continuing to gravitate toward? Are we consumed or obsessed with ourselves? Are we, have we gotten caught up in being self-righteous? Have we fallen into this pattern of self-preservation? God, maybe there's something else entirely that you want to identify and eradicate from our lives so that we can walk into healing, into hope. God, we know that it's unnatural, but by your power, it's more than possible. And God, I thank you that you're not a God that just drops guilt on our head but that your mercy is new every day. That though we don't deserve it, a new path is laid before us. Give us humility of heart. Help us to find humility as a body of people in the way that we relate to one another. Help us to find humility in the way that we move beyond the comfortable relationships that we have and move outside of ourselves. Give us humility just to, and, and ultimately freedom and just laying down our crowns at your feet. And so God, in just in a collective moment right now, God, I just, I pray that we could symbolically just in our own way, in our own heart, that we could just bow at your feet I know the things that I need to leave there. But help us to walk that out, God. And though it's painful, though it stings a little bit, God, we know that it's that pain that ultimately brings us hope and healing. So we give you thanks for how you meet us in that place, God. We thank you, God, that today is an opportunity to begin again. We ask you, God, to give us strength for a strong start and the ability to see it through. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.